Hi, this is Pastor Josh, and welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is a place where people can connect with Jesus and with each other. And if you're looking to get connected, you can find more information at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from a guest speaker. What's up, Harbor Church? Hey, my name is Casey. I get to serve here as the next gen pastor, and I cannot tell you just how honored and humbled that I am as I get to continue in our series, Killing Giants. And so if you want to add value to your life, do yourself a favor, go look up any of these previous messages throughout this series. Honestly, I have gone through so many pens as I'm taking so many notes. Uh, Maybe that's because I lose every single pen I've been gifted ever. Uh, But it has been an incredible series that I know I am so much better for having been through, and I know that you will be as well. But I want to I want to share a little bit about my heart for the next generation. I remember a specific moment in time when I felt the Lord begin to call me into ministry. I was 15 years old and I was at this camp, which if you have a child, you should definitely send them to our our camp that's coming up soon. Their life will be so much better for it. Side note, but I'm listening to the speaker and he says something that was written on my heart and is really where I come from and why I'm so passionate about the next generation. He said this, the enemy can get to a person in the first 15 years of their life. He can ruin them for the next 50. And so in that moment, I just remember praying, God, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what you want to do, but God, your will be done. Use my life however you see fit so that I'm able to stand in the gap so that that does not happen. And he has. The Lord's been really, really good to me. I've been able to do ministry for, with the next generation for most of the past decade, which makes me realize I'm not as young as I used to be. And I've noticed something across a few different states, across a few different cultures, a common theme in every next-gen ministry that I've been a part of. See, I believe that the enemy uses a tactic to create unhealthy children and teenagers, that create unhealthy, or that turns into unhealthy adults, that then recreate unhealthy children, and it becomes this vicious cycle And it's so clever, yet so simple, that it's actually what zookeepers do when they're trying to keep an elephant contained. See, what what has to happen if if you wanna keep an elephant in captivity is you have to start when it's a child. So what they do is they take, this, uh, they take this metal shackle and they anchor it into the ground onto one of their legs. And so as a, as a baby and throughout adolescence, it, it fights it and it rubs its ankle raw and it begins to become very painful for it. And over time, it just learns, this is just the way my life is. And by the time they reach adulthood, They no longer need that shackle anymore. All it takes to keep that elephant contained is a rope and a wooden stake in the ground. Because it's learned 
from its childhood that this is just the way things are and I'm never gonna get free. This is just my life. It becomes its identity. Satan does the exact same thing with us. See, Satan likes to take something that was said to you as a child, a situation, a circumstance that you were in, and lie to you and get you to buy into the idea that that is just who you are. The giant that's got to fall today for some of us is our identity. And identity is a, it's a very broad thing. So for the purpose of our conversation today, I want to define identity this way. Our identity is the glasses that we see the world through. It's how we filter information so that life makes sense. We're going to be hanging out in Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 12. It reads this way. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms, and the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. And so one thing that's helpful to know is that the Israelites, they're God's chosen people. And when they did life God's way, according to God's word, everything went well for them. But as you see all throughout the Old Testament, they would get sidetracked and they would decide they wanted to do something else instead, that something else was better, and they would go against God's word. And when that would happen, oftentimes they would get taken captive and they'd be forced to work for other nations. And so then after that, they'd realize we had it better when we served God and did life God's way. And so then they would, they would repent, they would rebel, they would repent. And then God, when they had cried out and repented and said, God, we want to do life your way, God would begin to restore them. And it was this cycle of rebel, repent, restore, and repeat. And it's so easy for us to look at that and say, how silly that you keep tripping over the same thing over and over and over again. But Parents in the room, you will, you will get what I'm saying. Oftentimes, it's the same idea of when it comes time for your child to get an attitude adjustment, uh, whatever that looks like in your household. You can see when it's coming, right? You can tell when they're, when they're starting to feel a little bit overconfident, they're getting a little bit rebellious. And then after they receive said attitude adjustment, you get a brand new kid for like two months, some of you guys are like, two months? I would give anything for two hours. <laughs> That's exactly what's happening with the Israelites. Skipping down to verse 15, it says, this is the repent stage. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. For us, when we, when we look at this, this is like random, right? That's really a weird way to introduce somebody. But for the original readers, this wasn't weird. 
This was very jarring and very shocking to them. It's almost like an oxymoron because he says that he's going to be this leader. And then they proceed to tell us two very negative things about him. See, there were 12 tribes or 12 factions, if you will, that make up uh, the, the, the Israelite nation as a whole. And the tribe of Benjamin had some really nasty issues in their past. They had done some pretty awful, pretty unspeakable things. And as a matter of fact, they were so jacked up that they actually caused a civil war. And it got so bad that only 600 of them were left alive. Enter Ehud, who God is calling him to go do something great, but yet he comes from a jacked up family. Some of you guys know what that's like. Some of us, you walked in this room this morning and your dad was an alcoholic, your granddad was an alcoholic. It seems like addiction just runs in your family and you find yourself wrestling with it and you feel like you'll never get free. And you say, that's just who we are. Some of you walked in here this morning and your marriage is hanging by a thread. And internally, you've already decided I know where this is headed because everyone in my family gets divorced. Some of us, you, you were raised in a really, really tense, very angry home situation. And so you've grown up and you've recreated that in your own home because you think this is just who we are. This is just what we do. And you've taken something that's happened to you and you've made that your identity. It's the glasses that you use to make sense of the world. Throughout much of history, being left-handed was actually a weakness. It was a bad thing for various reasons across various points in time. But when we see that Ehud is left-handed, it doesn't so much mean left-handed as it does bound in his right hand. Most scholars take this to mean that he was crippled, that he had some kind of birth defect. Fun fact, I am left-handed. And so life is just different for, for, for lefties. I don't know why it's so fascinating, but there have been so many times that I'll just be doing the most mundane of things and I get looked at like an animal at a zoo where people are like, how do you, how do, you do that? I'm like, let me eat my freaking cereal. Leave me alone. I'm just eating. I thought I was going to fail kindergarten straight up. I thought I was going to fail because we were doing arts and crafts or whatever. And so all of my right-handed friends were gifted scissors that worked for them. And so they were cutting up these beautiful butterflies and they get a great grade on it. And then I go up to my teacher and she was like, is that, did you cut a rock? Like, this is terrible. Of course she didn't say that, but I knew because it was written on her face. But for the people that know me, I'll say it this way. If you and I were to go out to lunch after this and I'm hanging out with some of your friends and I'm meeting them for the first time, what I would hope that you wouldn't do is define me and make it the most important thing for them to know where I go to like shake their hand and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, he's left-handed. I would hope that you wouldn't say that. I would hope that that's not how I'm defined. I would hope 
that when people think of me or they describe me, they would use words like tall. <laughs> it's funny. My doctor always says the same thing every time I go and he checks my height. He's like, yep, five, seven and three quarters. I'm like, I am not five, seven and three quarters. Five, eight. Come on, man, round it up. Help a brother out. I would hope that people would say that I was kind, that I love Jesus. I would hope that people would say of me, hey, when, you, when I'm around you, I see Jesus because I'm finding my identity in him. You know, sometimes it's the words that are said about us. It's the words that are said to us. And sometimes it's the words that we use to describe ourselves. Because here's the, here's the thing, if you, if, you're, if you have a church background, if you're regularly in church, I could ask you and you would very easily be able to name who your favorite preacher is. What's the preacher that you listen to the most? But the reality is you are the preacher that you listen to the most and you listen to what you say about you far more than what anyone else does. Here's one, if I had a word or two like we're given with Ehud to describe my own self. And you can fill in the blank for what yours is, whether that's I am broken, I'm messed up, I'll never be good enough. Here's mine. Unqualified. It's the one that I fight so hard. Because see, I grew up, it's safe to say I grew up in a lot of dysfunction. And so what I did is I took the dysfunction that I was in, I looked at that and then I said, oh, I'm gonna put this on. I am dysfunctional. And so then it became this self-fulfilling prophecy and I used it almost because it was safer. It was safer to find myself and to find my identity in my own dysfunction and to find myself as dysfunctional because then at least I could control the outcome. I could, I could at least know how it was gonna go and I found safety in that. my identity. And anytime God would open up the door for an opportunity for me to do something for him, I became just like that elephant. If I would love to, I can't. I can't. And it was an excuse that I was making for myself. Maybe for you, it's something that someone said to you or something that someone spoke over you. Maybe for you, someone told you that you were not loved. Someone told you that you were not wanted. Maybe it wasn't what they said. Maybe it's actually what they did and their actions communicated to you that you're not loved, that you're not wanted. And you walked in this morning and you're wrestling with abandonment issues. And so you, you, you put on the glasses, those glasses so that you can filter that information and you say, I am unloved. I am unwanted. So that anytime a situation, a relationship doesn't work out, you're like, yeah, because I'm unloved, because I'm unwanted. Friend, let me tell you that that is a lie straight from the pits of hell. Romans chapter eight says, hey, when you place your faith in Jesus, when you find your identity, your worth, your value, your purpose in him, no longer do you have to wrestle with feelings of not being wanted. No longer do you have to wrestle with abandonment, but actually you get to be a part of God's forever family, a God that left eternity, entered into time, 
time, lived a perfect life, endured every temptation, every situation, and died a criminal's death on a Roman cross in your place so that you could know that you've got a forever home with him. It goes on to say in verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe for you addiction, depression runs in your family. It's this generational stronghold that seems like it just gets passed down and it'd be cool to be free, but there's no way. No one in my family has ever overcome this generational thing. John chapter eight, verse 31 and 32 say, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, meaning if you live according to what I say about you, you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and it's the truth that will set you free. Here's something that I was convicted of as I was writing this message something that I believe the Lord kind of wrote on my heart. What you find your identity in, what you find your identity in directly shows what you think of God. And you're like, what? No, here's the thing. When we buy into the lies of everything that we're not and everything that will never be, and we, we take on and wear that insecurity, whatever that looks like as our identity, and we're saying, oh, God can, God, God can never use me. I'm too this, I'm not enough of that. What you're actually telling God is that you think you are weaker than he is strong. You see, here's the, here's the thing. God doesn't look at humanity in the same way that we do. God is not in heaven looking and saying, oh, I really did a good job with that person. I, I really gave them an awesome gift. I need them. No, God needs nothing. God qualifies the called. He doesn't need anything from you, but he has such a habit all throughout the Old Testament of taking the people that come from the wrong background that have this issue, that struggle with this, that wrestle with that, that we would look at as a jacked up dumpster fire. And he says, no, perfect. I want to use them. Honestly, it's the more broken they are, the greater God uses them. Because here's the deal. It was never about their strength and what they could or couldn't do. It's about God. And so when God uses someone, despite their flaws, despite their insecurities, their fears, their habits, their hangups, who gets the credit for it? God gets the credit for that. God wants to take the things that you would use that you feel are a weakness. He's saying, hey, stop wearing that as your identity. That's a tool that I want to use in your life to bring me more glory. Satan wants us to feel like we're always going to be trapped. We're always going to be stuck and we're never going to overcome it. And this is just who we are. And what he's doing is teaching us to be passive and just let life happen to us. It's like, God, I would love to serve you. I would love to but I can't because I'm always going to be this. 
2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. God really brought this scripture to life for me about a year ago in his favorite fast food restaurant, Taco Bell. <laughs> See, I got to go to lunch with a student that I, ref- I don't even call him by his name. I call him little brother because he and I, like we look so much alike that I actually kind of feel convicted about it now, but I, we used to lie and tell everybody that we were siblings and then God called us to the next assignment and I never got a chance to correct that and I, that one's on me. But what really stuck out to me was in this conversation that we had, we very quickly realized he and I have the exact same story. We got the exact same story and so, His identity were things that I had found my identity in. And it was such a cool moment to realize how good God has been to me and how far along he's brought me in my journey and finding my identity in him rather than situations and circumstances that happened to me. And I was reflecting on some things in the middle of that conversation that happened to me in my own life that I, honestly, I try not to remember. But what I began to realize is, wow, those same things that I had been begging God to take away are now my greatest asset. Because in the middle of this conversation with this kid, the same things I was asking God to take take away from me that I was mad, I was frustrated. Why did you allow this to happen? I said, thank you, God, because now I have a great tool and I've got a great resource to be able to point to Jesus. And I can give this kid some hope so that he can see, hey, I don't have to be my circumstances. I can find my identity in Christ and it can give me a hope. And so I got to speak into a situation and God used me because of the things and the circumstances that I had been through that otherwise I would have never been gifted with. When we choose to place our identity and who God says we are, rather than our own weaknesses, our own fears. God uses those weaknesses. Here's the deal. Your labels that maybe someone gave you, maybe you've assigned to yourself, they actually become the lid for how God wants to use you. See, in that situation... If I had said, hey, I'm, I'm always going to be dysfunctional. I'm, I'm always going to wrestle with these emotions. These emotions are going to rule over my life. I am depressed. That would have been the lid to how God wanted to use me. But because I said, no, I'm not going to be defined by this. I'm not going to find my identity in this. There was no longer that lid. And God was able to use me in a greater capacity. So verse 16, Judges chapter three, and he had made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. (laughs) I love, (laughs) 
I love how brutally honest the Bible is sometimes. Especially, you know, when you see like all throughout the grand narrative scriptures, so many beautiful words that have been penned and just leaves you in awe. And other times it's, this dude was fat, like fat, fat. What makes it even worse, I, want, I so want to have a conversation with his parents one day. His name actually means heifer, <laughs> calf, or round. <laughs> and so it's like, what, were you, what was the goal here Like with his, with his parents? It, it, is that what they wanted him to be or what they knew he was going to be? Because if so, my parents should have named me something that means bad at sports. I <laughs> love sports. I love watching them, but they do not love me back, unfortunately. And so they bring in this tribute. It's a, it's a gift that it either could have been money or food. And so I love, this is just how I think. I love the idea that somehow Ehud, some supernatural way, got an order from McDonald's to give to this guy, right? He's got, the, he's got the Big Mac with extra cheese, large fry, but that's a lot and you gotta have a win somewhere. So I'm gonna get him a Diet Coke, right? Because at least I saved a few hundred calories. And a team, a team of archaeologists in the 1930s, they actually discovered what they believed to be the home that this story took place in. And they were in shock. See, it became very clear what Eglon placed his identity in. Because if he can't, if the enemy can't get you to place your identity in everything that you are not and all your weaknesses, all your failures, all your insecurities, he'll puff you up and he'll tell you how great you are and that you don't need anybody or anything and that you are just fine on your own. And so Eglon's home was at the highest point in the city. It was something that screamed, look at me. Look what I've accomplished. Look how good and powerful and strong and self-sufficient I am. I don't need anybody or anything. Look at me. And then they actually go into his home and they marvel even more. He had indoor plumbing. He had a kitchen. He had expensive fine china that was imported and was thought to be extremely valuable during that time. Not to mention, we can gather by his weight that he was living a lifestyle that said, me, 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 more. Look at me. I want to build my life. I want to build up my kingdom and do things my way. I don't need anybody or anything. Here's the issue with building up your own kingdom. Matthew 10, 39 says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, he had went to the king and he had said, oh king, I've got a message from God for you. Verse 19 says, but he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence. And all his attendants went out from his presence. He was so confident that he needed nothing and nobody that he sent everyone away 
And he said, I got this. I can do this all on my own and all by myself. He had said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. See, here's where it gets real. He was living a life that was in direct opposition to God, doing everything that he wanted to do, building up his own kingdom, his own wealth, crafting his own reputation, working hard to get all those titles. But he wanted God to bless him. And he stands up thinking, God is going to bless me. In verse 21, it says, And he had reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And in that moment, everything that Eglon had worked so hard for, it all came crashing down. His image, all of his stuff, worthless when he's gone. The reality is for us, we don't get to get to heaven and have a conversation with God and he's saying, why should, why should I let you into heaven? And you say, God, look at my bank account. Look at the home that I lived in. I paid for all of my kids to go to college. The reality is, did you place your identity in me? Did you know me? Did you have a relationship with me? Or did you not? And we don't get to say, but... God, I did some good things. I went to church. Friend, let me tell you, going to church doesn't make you a believer and follower of Jesus any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. It's not, yeah, I gave to that organization. It's the posture of your heart when you do it. It's a heart that says, God, take my time, my talents, my treasures, and my testimony and use them however you see fit. I'm open-handed with what you've given me. Use whatever, however, to bring you more glory. It's not a posture that does the right things, but with the attitude that says, yeah, you're welcome, God. Yeah, no, no big deal. I don't mind helping, out a little, helping you out a little bit. It looked like you were having a hard time, so I wanted to step in to, to help you out. Even if it was the right thing with the wrong motives. Here's what Isaiah says about this. It says, you come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. See, when you do the right thing with the wrong motive, God didn't need you to do that. Your righteousness, your best acts done with the wrong motives are like filthy rags. Here's what I love about Ehud. He could have found his identity on either end of the pendulum. He could have bought into his weaknesses and he 
could have found his identity and his insecurities. Or he could have found it on the other end of the pendulum of here's how strong I am, here's how accomplished I am, look at my accolades. See, after, after he killed the king, he sneaks out and he's able to make it back to his town. And then in verse 27, it says, when he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me. Look how important I am. Look at everything I've accomplished. No. See, he had a proper understanding that he's not so weak that God can't use him, but he's not so powerful that he can do life on his own. He says, follow after me for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. Pride and insecurity, two sides of the same coin. But the issue with both sides is that they both fail to acknowledge the power of God. Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse 19 says, and you will know that God's power is very great for us who believe. It's the same as the mighty power he used to raise Christ from the dead and put him at his right side in the heavenly places. He put Christ over all rulers, authorities, powers, and kings. He gave him authority over everything that has power in this world or in the next world. Some of us walked in and we feel so powerless. We just let life happen to us because there's nothing that we can do and we found our identity and how powerless we are. What this verse tells us is that God is not looking for you to be powerful. What he's saying is, I am the power source. If you will connect with me and you'll understand that you get your power from me, you don't have to find your identity in everything that you're not. And it tells us on the other end of the pendulum, everything that you've been gifted, everything that you have, your title, spouse that you're married to, your money, God's the one that gave you that. It's God that has all the power. I want to close this way. There was a man by the name of Jim Elliott. He grew up in the U.S. and he was studying to be an architect. And somewhere along the way, God began to work on his heart. And God began to call him into missions, specifically to a really, really dangerous people group that was known to be violent. And so his family is saying to him, don't do that. You've got a promising career where you can build up a great life for yourself here stateside. Why would you go do that? But his identity was rooted in God and following after God and his commandments. And so he goes and he begins to have some success. He's breaking down walls with these people. And then one day out of nowhere, they killed him before there had been any converts. And whether you find yourself operating in insecurity or you find yourself 
wrestling from feeling like you've got it all together. Both sides can meet in the middle and when you look at his story through that lens, you both can say, what an idiot. Why? Those are not your people. You were so ill-equipped. There's nothing that you could have done. Of course this would happen to you. Pride says, you had a very promising career ahead of you. Why would you go out and do that? (laughs) Makes no sense. And so it's easy for us to look at him as a failure. But actually, I think he had it all figured out. After he died, they found his belongings. And in his journal was written this quote, a man is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Because his identity was so rooted in Christ, he didn't feel like he had anything that he needed to prove to anybody. And his life was actually a massive success. And here's why. Because his identity was so rooted in who God said he was and what God had called him to, his family was impressed by that. The same family that said, don't do that. That's ridiculous. They actually went to those same people and began to tell them about the same Jesus. Those people said, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been a man that came here before that told us about this God. And we killed him. And the strange thing is he... He never fought back because of Jim Elliot finding his identity in Christ. He paved the way for an entire village to one day get to heaven because he decided I'm willing to place my identity in Christ. His family then found their identity in Christ And then they went on and God used them in a great way. I feel like he really just unlocked the secret to living a happy life. It's not in trying to prove yourself or working harder. It's not in hiding behind your own insecurities because at least you can predict what's going to happen and at least you know what the outcome is going to be. The way to live life to the fullest the way to truly find peace, contentment can only be found when you place your identity in Christ. Will you pray with me? Father God, I don't know what we walked in here being defined as, whether it be something that was said to us as a kid and circumstance, a situation where we find ourselves, and we've taken a tool that you want to use to bring you glory and we've made that our identity. God, that giant's got to fall. I pray that you would give us the strength, the courage that it takes to be willing to get uncomfortable enough to place our identity in you and to be defined by what you say we are rather than what the lies of the enemy say we are. And God, in a room this size, there's likely someone in the room that said, I, 
I didn't know I had a choice to be defined by anything other than what I've found my identity in. But it sounds great to not have to be defined by these things. I, don't, I came to church and I'm just looking for a little bit of hope. I'm curious about the whole Jesus thing. God, we know that there's no perfect prayer, all the right words to say to get punch or get out of hell free card. But it's an acknowledgement in our own words from our heart to yours that we're not doing so good on our own. That we've messed up our life, that we have violated your standards. And we decide, God, would you clean me up? Would you help me to find my identity in you so that I can listen to what it is that you want me to do? God, I want to do life your way. I'm sorry that I didn't. When we acknowledge that we need a Savior, that we're not a very good God of our own life, Scripture says that we get to spend eternity forever in heaven with a good and perfect Father. God, we love you. We pray all these things in your wonderful, precious name. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor Church as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and the world around us, you can visit harborchurch.com backslash give, or you can text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.